Turn your Bible, please, to Daniel, the fifth chapter. Daniel chapter 5. Great privilege to be able to preach the Word of God. I guess a person doesn't realize that until he contemplates never preaching again. I'm so thankful for this privilege. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity to be together in God's house. The songs that have blessed our hearts and all the dear people who have come tonight. Thank You for every visitor. Thank You for the faithful, precious people of this church. For this tremendous attendance tonight, we're grateful. Father, we pray now that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts to the message. And may we hear beyond the words of the preacher, the Word of God. Speak to us tonight, Father. And may somebody who has never been saved come to Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Daniel chapter 5. You recognize we have been studying through the book of Daniel. And the last time on Sunday night I preached sometime in October was on the fourth chapter. We come tonight to the fifth chapter. Many years have gone by between the fourth and the fifth chapter. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king. In his place there's a man named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is actually the second in the kingdom. His father, Nebuchadnezzar, is out fighting the battles with the Medes and the Persians as this scene opens. The Medes and Persians are marching toward Babylon, but in the city of Babylon, they're not even aware of it. There's revelry. There's like a carnival atmosphere. There's utter indifference to the problems that the nation faces. And in the face of all that, let's see what God is going to say to Belshazzar. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, and that could be his grandfather. In the Hebrew, there is no difference between grandfather and father, ancestor, and so the English translation more literally should be here his grandfather because Nebuchadnezzar was not the father of Belshazzar, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the golden vessels that were out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of bronze, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the lampstand upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him. 
so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me its interpretation shall be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Notice that Belshazzar was the second ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, his father, was the first ruler. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation of it. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled. His countenance was changed in him, and his lords were perplexed. Now the queen, and this is probably the queen mother, the queen, by reason of words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and revealing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, who art the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation of it, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation of it, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered, Let thy gifts be to thyself, give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the read writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, that he appointed over it whomever he will. Thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart though thou knewest all this. But thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of the house before thee, of the Lord's house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and concubines have drunk wine from them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, who see not, 
nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of his hand sent from him, and his writing was written, and this is the writing which was written, meany, meany, tekel, euphorson. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meany, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balance and art found wanting. Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, and made him a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. I come tonight with this message on my heart to deliver to you. Thou art found, thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting. If we study carefully the last part of this fifth chapter, and we see that Daniel was to be made the third ruler in the kingdom, that Belshazzar was the second ruler, that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, was the first ruler, and obviously he was killed by the Medes and Persians. And at the end of this chapter, the Medes and Persians come and overrun the city of Babylon, and they kill Belshazzar, and Daniel is now the not the third ruler in the kingdom, he's the first ruler. And when we come to the sixth chapter, we find that the Medes and the Persians divided the empire among three people, and Daniel was one of them. A great man was Daniel. Now, as we think about this fifth chapter, the liberals seek to destroy the book of Daniel. They have a lot of reasons. One of the things they said for many years, there was no such king as Darius. This was just a title, just as like Caesar or the Tsar or the Fuhrer or the Pharaoh. That's what modern archaeology has revealed. The earliest, the liberal critics said there was no such king at all as Darius. They also said there was no, that Belshazzar could not have been the son of Nebuchadnezzar, which is true. But they failed to understand that in Hebrew there is no word for grandfather. The word father is used for any ancestor, going back to the great, 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 great grandfather. We understand this in reading in the New Testament, where Scripture says that Jesus will sit on the throne of his father David. And to father David, was many generations removed from the Lord Jesus. As this chapter opens, 20 or 30 years have lapsed between chapters 4 and 5. Nebuchadnezzar was succeeded by his son, Evil Moradak, who reigned two years. He was assassinated by his brother-in-law. And that man's name was Nero Leser. And he reigned four years and was killed in battle. The next man that, ra that was raised up was from the ordinary ranks. He was not even in the same dynasty. His name was Laboroso Arcad. And he ruled for a little while, less than a year. And then Nebuchadnezzar was raised. Nebuchadnezzar, son-in-law, was Nebuchadnezzar. And 
Therefore, Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, was the grandson of that great king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Belshazzar was in charge of Babylon while Nebuchadnezzar went to fight the Medes and the Persians at the front of the battle. He was second in the kingdom. When he wanted his dream to come to be interpreted, he offered to make whoever could interpret that dream the third ruler in the kingdom, and that man became Daniel. I want you to get, if you can, the picture of the Medes and Persians marching against Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is out fighting the battles. His son, Belshazzar, is sort of a playboy. And while the armies of Babylon are out fighting the Medes and the Persians, and the real king is out on the front of the battle, and the Medes and the Persians are marching toward the city of Babylon, Belshazzar has called a great big carnival. He's had a big celebration. And all of Babylon, that huge city, is turned into one great big circus. And wine is flowing all through the city. And they've made a tremendous feast. And you imagine a thousand of his lords and concubines attending that feast. We have a big feast in the basement sometime in Fellowship Hall. Those tables stretch all across the hall. I think that's pretty big. We don't have room for a thousand people down there. Can you imagine a banquet hall where a thousand people could sit around it? That's the kind of banquet hall that Nebuchadnezzar had, Belshazzar had. That's what was going on this night when Babylon was in such terrible danger. It reminds me of America in peril terrible peril tonight. I know there are some who would say, preacher, don't be a peddler of sordid spots. Don't be somebody who just is an alarmist. I want to tell you, it's time that we become alarmed in America. Some of the tragedies that we're facing, some of the difficulties that we're facing, swept under the rug most of the time are the real crisis days those who are in the know say that when they talk to men in Congress and statesmen in Washington who are supposedly on the know, the inner circle of what's going on in our world, those men say, we've reached the end of no, we've reached the end. We don't know what to do. And they wring their hands and pull their hair, have all night meetings. The Republicans try one thing, the Democrats try something else. And no matter who's in power, the other half are eating them up and criticizing them. The problem is nobody really knows what to do. America needs to turn back to God. We need a revival. God's people called by his name, turning from the wickedness of our sins and turning to God. We have no idea how close we are to a one world government. I cut some clippings that I thought would be interesting to us from the Akron Beacon Journal, dated Friday, September 10th, 1982, in an article by William Safire, he warns that the first step downward on the Simpson staircase to big brotherdom, now this is not written by a Bible man, this is not written by a preacher, this is written in the, in the secular press. There is no slippery slope toward the loss of liberties, 
insists Senator Alan Simpson of Wyoming, author of the latest immigration bill, only a long staircase where each step downward must be first tolerated by the American people and their leaders. And that is the requirement that within three years, the federal government come up with a secure system to determine employment eligibility in the United States. Despite denial, that means a national identity card. That means that everybody in America has to carry a card with your identity, a national identity card. Maybe it will be the same as the Social Security card. Who knows? Later in the article, he adds, once the down staircase is set in place, the temptation to take each next step would be irresistible. Certainly every business would want to ask customers to insert their identity card into the whiz-bang credit checker and the computer cash registers located at every checkout counter. Banks, phone companies, schools, hotels would all take advantage of the obvious utility of the document that could not be counterfeited, not to mention the later to come advantage of not even carrying a card but having the number tattooed in a computer chip inserted in your hand or forehead which could not be lost or stolen, much less forged. Yes, within the next few years, this identity card will be a sure thing in America. Law enforcement, tax collection would certainly be easier because the federal government would know at all times exactly where everybody is and what they're spending. And I want to read another article, something that goes right along with this, from that same Akron Baptist uh, Beacon Journal, a secular press. Beginning October 15th, Huntington Bank customers with in-home computers will be able to hook into the bank's Columbus-based computer and do such things as transfer money from one account to another, pay bills, monitor checking and saving accounts balances. Huntington National Bank, the first bank in the state to offer pay-by-phone check writing service and freestanding teller outlets, is about to bring banking into the home. Huntington is once again leading the way in technology. We're the first bank able to bring our service into your home, said Bill Nash, Huntington's senior vice president for the Northeast Ohio region. Now, I want you to notice something else. This new innovation working hand in hand with Ohio's new instant system is going to make selling with cash or checks an unnecessary process. Addition or subtraction of an individual's computer bookkeeping bank account is all that will eventually be used for paying of bills as well as purchasing of all the items including groceries as it is now partially being used in Florida. The largest and most popular food chain in Florida in a great number of their stores located throughout the state, you can now pay for your groceries by having its amount deducted immediately from your bank through the reliable and efficient electronic fund transfer system, which is already working like a charm. At the present, all that is needed to pay your grocery bill is either the new Visa or the MasterCard and so on. You see what we're facing. Some of you, may think, well, preacher, why are you taking so much time to read these articles? We are on the verge in America of seeing what preachers have been warning about for years. 
the takeover of the computer system and every one of us will have a number. And that number will eventually no longer be on a card, but be on our body, on our person, somewhere where it can be seen, either on our hand or on our forehead. And it will not be visible to the naked eye, but it will be picked up by a scanner. You read the book of Revelation and find out what God says about it. And America is seeing it come to pass. How many of you read about that in the secular press? It was not picked up in Bowling Green paper. I didn't see it. I didn't see it in the Courier Journal. It's happening all around us. And suddenly, just bang, one day we'll wake up and it'll be such a natural thing that we'll say, well, that's the way it ought to be because that's the way society is going. God says that's the way it is. Now, I want to tell you, you say, preacher, you're a little bit fanatical tonight. So was Daniel when he preached to Belshazzar. Belshazzar the king was ignoring the signs of the times. He was sitting in the city of, of Babylon, that big giant city, impregnable, he thought. Why, nobody could ever tear Babylon down. No one could ever destroy this city. And the seeds that would destroy the city had already been sown. And the Medo-Persians were at the very gates of the city as the banquet begins. Now concerning the city of Babylon, I want you to note some things. That city was founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of, of Noah. It was the most magnificent and luxurious city in the world. It was a center of idolatry. It was the headquarters of heathen mysteries and devoted to every, to every vice. It was an impregnable fortress. It was built exactly in the shape of a square. That's ancient Babylon. 15 miles every way, surrounded by a wall. I want you to hold your breath. The wall was 87 feet thick and 350 feet high. You imagine a wall like this? The ceiling of this auditorium is only 40 or 50 feet. The wall of Babylon was 87 feet wide and 350 feet tall. No wonder Belshazzar felt, felt secure. No wonder the people in Babylon said, why, nobody can ever conquer us. We're an impregnable city. Around that wall, four chariots could ride abreast and they often did. Through the midst of the city ran the beautiful Euphrates River. All about the city there were massive gates, wonderful watchtowers, all shimmering in the sun, the gates of brass. The city was in a state of national carnival. There were enough gates, but the city had the gates closed. They didn't count on the Medes changing the course of the river. And while they were in there drinking and making merry and gambling and having their revelry, they didn't think to look over the 87 feet of that wall. They didn't think to send some sentinels up there to see what was going on. And the Medes and the Persians were back several miles from the city digging trenches and they dug 
a way for that Euphrates River to be retrenched. And when they got to their right place, they built the dam, they loosed the dam, and the water of the Euphrates went around the city of Babylon, and the, the armies of the Medes and Persians marched right up under the riverbed, under the wall of Babylon, and into the city of Babylon. Beloved, America is not impregnable, and I say that with tears. I think we're aware of it now. There are missiles posed in Cuba that could easily land on Nashville, Jacksonville, Atlanta, Louisville, all about us, maybe Bowling Green. There are missiles on submarines that tour the waters of the Atlantic and the Pacific that could easily hit any mark on American continent. That's the reason we're having to come to some accommodations and agreements. We pussyfooted around for many years and allowed Russia to become a leading nation in nuclear warfare. And now America, to whom God gave, and I believe it was God given, the opportunity to know that scientific know-how. This was the nation because of a nucleus of praying people, of godly people, God could have let Germany have it. They almost had the secret at the end of World War II, but the madman Hitler would have turned it against the world. God allowed America to know those secrets, but we allowed the secrets to be stolen. We gave them away. And now, this beloved land of the free and home of the brave has forgotten. Can you imagine when we got ready for World War II, can you imagine 54,000 young men saying, I'm not going to register. I'm not going to register. And our government do nothing about it. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not for war. I'm against war. And I'm certainly not for the draft. I hate to see these young men go and be drafted. But America is worth fighting for. America is worth living for. And I know that Christianity and America are not one and the same. I'm not confused about that. But I am saying God has given America the wonderful opportunity to be a missionary task force to a whole world. More missionaries have gone from the shores of America to the nations of the world than from any nation that ever existed because there's been a strong group of Bible believers. Beloved, it's time that we wake up. How can we wake up nationally? We have to wake up individually. We have to wake up individually. I have to have a revival in my heart. You have to have a revival in your heart. We have to have some young people who instead of just singing K Sarah Sarah and taking it easy through life, can come to grips with, Lord, what will you have me to do with my life? I want to put it on the altar. I want to be used for God. And let God take over your life. In the chapter before us, we hear the downfall of ancient Babylon. And there's a specific reason given. I'd like for you to look at the reason. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 22, 
Daniel is speaking to Belshazzar. I'm glad that God had a man that could stand on his haunches and say, your gifts be for another. I have a message from God to you. Oh, listen, let me plead with you. Men tonight, be men of God. When you go to the factories, and you go to the shops, and you go wherever you go. Preachers, young men who've been called to preach when you go to school at Western or your school, high school, wherever it is, stand for the Lord. Stand for the things of God. Let your colors be known. Let people know who you are and why you are what you are. One of the great dangers we have at Anchored Christian School, especially in our high school, is young people who think they're in an environment that's Christian so they can let down the bars. I notice some don't carry their Bibles. I'm interested in that. It always blessed me when I heard a young person goes to Bowling Green High or Warren Central carrying his Bible to every class. Some people would mock, some people would laugh. And I'm amazed sometimes in our own Christian high school when some want to run to their locker, put, poke their Bible in the locker. Shame to carry it or it's too heavy to carry. Listen, God's Word is never too heavy to carry. Be what you are. If you're God's man, be it. If you're God's woman, be it. Be what God wants you to be, wherever you are, whatever the circumstances. In Daniel chapter 5, God gave a message through Daniel to Belshazzar. He put his finger on why the kingdom was falling apart. Here's what he said. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, he gives him five reasons why the kingdom is falling. Number one, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Number two, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. Number three, you have brought the vessels of the Lord's house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine from them. And number four, thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know. And number five, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. God says, Belshazzar, you're weighed and you're found wanting. You've been weighed in the balance. The handwriting on the wall, you want to know what it said? Here's what it says. Meanie, meanie, tekel you farson. You've been weighed and you've been found wanting. And Belshazzar, God is not some monster hovering over trying to kill the nation Babylon. Remember what Babylon was. Why, that was the nation God used to destroy Judah. That was the, the arm and the hand of God against God's own people, Israel. God used Babylon. And in one place, Nebuchadnezzar is called a servant of the Lord. And now Daniel stands before the king of that great Babylonian nation and says, you've been weighed and you've been found wanting. I think God might say that to America. I think God might say that to some individual people. I pray that God would not have to say that to Glendale Baptist Church. You've been weighed in the balance and you're found wanting. 
And God put his finger on the five areas where they were weighed. It was not some hodgepodge. It was not some mystery thing. It wasn't something that Belshazzar could walk around and wring his hands and say, well, I just don't know why God is doing this. Daniel said, here's the reason. Five reasons. Number one, you did not humble your heart. What does the Lord require of thee but to walk humbly before thy God? You didn't humble your heart. Listen, we don't have anything to be proud of. Now we say, I'm proud to be an American, and I am, I thank God. But that's not the same usage of the word that is used here. It ought to humble us to be an American. Thank you, Lord, that you let me be born in this land instead of Russia, or instead of Cuba, or instead of Argentina or instead of one of Amini's lands. Thank you, Lord. We ought to be humble before God. And the fact that we're a Christian, the fact that you're saved and I'm saved, that isn't something to say, well, I'm really proud that I'm a Christian. We ought to say, Lord, it humbles me that Jesus went to the cross for my sins and died for me. He who knew no sin became a cursed thing for me Lord, that humbles me, and I thank you. I thank you from the depths of my soul. And Lord, I can never again have an attitude of pride or aristocracy or look down my nose at anybody, no matter what they are, who they are. Listen, the people in this world who have the most forgiving heart are people who know what it is to be saved. totally, altogether out of character for any Christian to look down at his nose at somebody who has been overtaken by sin. But for the grace of God, there go I, there go you. I've come out of prison sometimes. I've come out of jail sometimes. and heard those doors clang behind me and I whisper, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord for your grace. And that's the way each of us should be. God, thank you. I have a humble heart, a heart that is humbled before the Lord. Belshazzar, one of your problems, and the reason you've been weighed and found wanting is you have not humbled your heart. You're filled with pride. You're filled with selfishness. You're filled with egotism. You didn't humble your heart. Secondly, you lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You, that's the same sin that Lucifer was guilty of. I'm going to be what God is. And instead of saying, I'm going to accept my position in life, this is the sin of rebellion. It's the same sin as when mama says to daughter, do the dishes. I'm not going to do the dishes I want to watch television. You know what you're trying to do? I say this with all humility. You're trying to be mother when God says you're to be the child. Or daddy says, take the garbage out. I'm not going to take the garbage out. I don't feel like it. You're trying to be daddy. And God says that your daddy is to be daddy and you're to be the son. 
Or when teacher says, get your homework, get these things done, get this work done. That old foolish teacher, all they do is just homework, homework, homework. And you rebel against your teachers. You know what you're trying to do? You're playing teacher. God says you're to be the student, and the teacher's to be the teacher. It's the same principle, the same principle. It's the same lack of, author, of, of respect for authority throughout America and among Christians. And God said through Daniel to Belshazzar, that's one of the reasons your kingdom has been, is crumbling. That's the reason you've been weighed, and you've been found wanting because you lifted up yourself against the Lord God of heaven. Thirdly, you desecrated the holy things. You took those goblets and those wonderful things out of the house of God in Jerusalem. They've been here stored in this nation. I used Babylon as a hand of judgment on Israel, but I never intended for you to desecrate the holy things. And you've taken those vessels from the temple and you've spread them out for your thousand wives and concubines to drink and be merry in this carnival. You've desecrated the holy things. God says the same thing to us. You can't get by with desecrating God's holy things. And what is holy? There is nothing more holy than this body in which we live, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The holy things we use at communion, the holy things we have in the house of God. Beloved, they're not nearly as holy as this body that belongs to the Lord God. And the Bible says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. That's the reason as long as God gives me breath, I'm gonna ask you to quit smoking. Whoever you are, men or women, young people, how foolish, how foolish. I've seen people sit on cancerous deathbeds at the hospital, puffing away at their last little cigarette before they lay down and die. I urge you in the name of Jesus to don't desecrate the holy things. Don't desecrate this holy body that God has given you by joining it with a harlot or joining it in premarital sex or in unnatural sex or any other kind that is against the will of God. God's book says you're holy. You belong to God. You're His. One of the reasons for the fall of Babylon, one of, the, one of the things that Daniel pointed his finger at Belshazzar and said, you've been weighed in the balance. You took sacred things and made them unholy. You desecrated the holy things. And beloved, that certainly is true in America. It's unbelievable some of the hullabaloo that's made over some of the problems we have in America. And yet those same people say nothing about murdering little babies. Thousands, millions. If you could just visualize tonight the untold millions of little babies whose arms reach up crying from eternity for blood. America, I guess one of the only nations on earth that ever passed a law saying 
that abortion would be legal. You desecrated the holy things. God said you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. What's God saying to us tonight? What's God saying to me? What's God saying to you? What's God saying to our families? What is God saying to young people? What is God saying to children? What is God saying to old people? What is God saying to the church? Fourthly, God says, Thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, who see not, nor hear, nor know idolatry. You've broken the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, listen. When we put anything before the Lord God, I don't care what it is, whether it's our automobile, whether it's our house, whether it's our families, whether it's our children, whether it's our little children. I look around the church and I see parents who bring their little children to church on Sunday night. It always thrills me. I hear of other parents who say, well, my child has to go to bed at eight. I can't come to church on Sunday night. I think that's a very dangerous excuse to give. Be very careful. God could take that little child so you wouldn't have the excuse anymore. I know we stay late, but I think God can make it up to you. You put something else before God. 